The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, they will not listen to you. When you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. This is God's word. We find ourselves here in Mark chapter 6, and I'm going to focus our attention here on, on these verses, 6 through 13. Um, really what we're going to see this morning is this idea of how does King Jesus and how does his mission advance in the world today? Uh, we got a little snapshot of what it looks like for, for the kingdom to advance last week. Sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it's received with rejection, but this morning it's now time for the disciples to be sent out. If you go back into Mark chapter 3, Jesus specifically says he calls the twelve so that they could come and be with him, be trained by him in order to be sent out to go and do the very things that he's been doing so far. And so now that time has come. It's no longer just to hang out around the pool, so to speak. It's time to dive in and to get wet into the things of the kingdom of King Jesus. And so what we're going to do is see that the king's mission is going to begin to advance not only through Jesus, but also through the disciples as they get sent out and equipped with the authority and the power of Jesus himself. So we're going to hit pause, we're going to pray, and then we're going to turn our attention to our verses that were just read for us, okay? So why don't you guys join me in prayer? Holy Spirit, we need you to come and demonstrate your power so that faith of those who are not followers of Jesus, and that even the faith of those who are followers of Jesus here this morning might rest in the power of God found in the person of Jesus Christ this morning. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fill me and assist me to proclaim even now the good news that King Jesus is a Savior who saves sinners as we consider our text before us. Father, would we leave today as a result of the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts and lives from hearing this text preached and proclaimed, could we say along with the disciples that were walking with you in the road to Emmaus, when we heard the words of Christ from Mark chapter 6, did not our hearts burn within us as a result of hearing these words? Holy Spirit, we are desperate on you to open our eyes, to make our lazy ears here, to make our tired brains think, and to make our hard hearts soft to receive the words of Jesus. So we ask that you would come and do these things even now. It's in the powerful name of the risen Savior we pray. Amen. Well, it was blatant rejection, and it was brazen unbelief. This is what we saw last week when we saw Jesus go back and to his hometown of Nazareth. And instead of people receiving Jesus for who he is as the Christ, the Son of God, 
And what he came to do, that is, he came to give his life as a ransom for many. When Jesus came back to his hometown of Nazareth, the people of Nazareth, knowing these things, seeing these things, they didn't outright dismiss them. What they just did was said, basically, Jesus, we understand these things are true of you, but we still are going to reject you, and we're still going to choose to harden our heart in unbelief to you. This is basically the summary of all that we saw last week. But as we roll into our verses for this morning, we notice this, that even though Jesus was rejected in the town of Nazareth, far from spinning him out because he was rejected, we see this rejection actually fuels Jesus and spurs him on to say, listen, we came, we preached the gospel to the people of Nazareth. They did want, want anything to do with Jesus. So Jesus says, guys, it's time to roll on and it's time to move on to the next town. It's time to continue teaching, and this is exactly what Mark tells us there in the last part of verse 6, that Jesus leaves Nazareth, he goes around teaching among the various villages. And so what we see is that no matter how blatant the rejection might be, no matter how brazen the unbelief might be, nothing is going to stop Jesus from fulfilling the will of his Father. Jesus came on a mission. He came as the King and nothing is going to stop the king from advancing his mission in the hearts and in the lives of people who need to know that sinners can be saved through him. Nothing's going to stop that. And it's this reality that King Jesus and his mission is going to advance on this earth, no matter how much unrejection, no matter how much unbelief there might be. The disciples needed to witness Jesus being rejected in Nazareth before he turns and he sends them out on their mission. See, King Jesus came with the mission to preach the good news of God. That is why he came. You see this all the way back in Mark chapter 1. He came to proclaim the good news of God, calling people to come, repent, and believe in this good news that Jesus is a Savior who saves sinners. And all the way back in Mark chapter 3, what we learn is that as Jesus seeks to advance this mission, he begins to call people to come and follow him. People now start coming and following him, and he says, listen, to be a follower of me isn't to just come and hang out on the sidelines only to just watch me do these things. He says, to be a follower of me is, I want you to come, anchor yourself with me, because then eventually I'm going to turn and I'm going to kick you out, and I'm going to send you out to go and do and teach and preach and tell people about the good news of Jesus, just like I'm going around telling people about the good news. And now that time has come. To be a follower of Jesus means that we are sent on the same mission as King Jesus. There is no dichotomy there in the Christian life. To say, I follow Jesus, and then for your life to reflect a life that does not go out on mission in some way, shape, or form, being a witness for Jesus is a life that is nowhere found in the New Testament. To say, I follow Jesus, is to be a missionary sent out on mission. To say, I am a disciple of Jesus, is to be one who, in life, in thought, in actions, in words, is to represent Jesus as a miniature representation of who he is, no matter where you go. And this is just what we're going to see this morning in these handful of verses, that as followers of Jesus, we are sent on the same mission as Jesus is sent. We have the joy and the honor of being able to do what we see Jesus do. And so as we think about what it means to live as followers of Jesus who are sent on mission by the King, 
it rightly prompts various questions in our minds. Questions of, well, as we go on mission for Jesus, well, whose authority are we supposed to rely on? I mean, Jesus is Jesus after all. Like, I'm just a guy. Grew up in Carrollton, Illinois. Live over on Douglas Avenue. Like, what, what authority do I have to be able to proclaim these things? As I go out on mission, like, well, what am I supposed to expect? I and mean, is there going to be hunger? Is there going to be hostility? Like, what, what is the right way to think about how we go on mission? And ultimately, it's, well, whose example are we to follow as we go on a mission? Are we supposed to create new things? Are we just supposed to just write the playbook as we go? What are we supposed to do as we go as those who've been sent? What, what are all these answers to these questions. And it's as if Mark, hearing these things, says, listen, I, I know that you might have questions about what it looks like to be sent on mission as an ambassador for Jesus. So when he says, let me just give you a little snapshot of what this looked like in the lives of the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles that Jesus has called to himself. He says, let me teach you some things in regard to what this might look like as a result of following Jesus. And so whenever we roll into verse 7, Mark begins to unpack these questions by giving us answers. Okay? And the first thing he's going to show us is this, that as a follower of Jesus who's sent on mission, you are sent with the king's authority. You're sent with the king's authority. That's what we see in verses 7, 8, and 9. Mark tells us that Jesus called the twelve there in verse 7. And what he did was he began to send them out two by two. And here it is. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So as followers of Jesus, our authority to proclaim the good news of God's kingdom, it is derived from the king himself. As the apostles were sent out two by two, they were given authority over the unclean spirits by the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. So in this way, what's going on with the twelve is that they really just become extensions of Jesus himself. To be sent with the authority of the king was to be sent as one of the king's representatives. I mean, that's the whole point of what being an ambassador is in the political system that we live in today. Our president has ambassadors throughout the world. And as these ambassadors go out, the authority they have to represent the agenda of the president is a granted authority. It's not an authority in and of themselves. It's an authority that comes from you're an ambassador I have an agenda. I want you to go and represent my agenda. This is just exactly what's going on here in this text. King Jesus is sending out his ambassadors, and he says, as you go, what you need to know is this. You will represent me as you bank and rely upon the provision of my authority that I'm giving to you to be able to go out and represent me in this world. And then notice in verses 8 and 9, as they go with the provision of the king's authority, Jesus gives them this sort of... some. Odd information. Mark tells us that Jesus charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, a walking stick. They're to take no bread, no bag, no money in their belts. They're to wear sandals, but they're not to put on two tunics. So you get a coat, you get sandals, you get a staff. You're to have no bread, no bag, no money in their belts. And you read this, and it's like, what's, what's this about? It just seems really weird. It seems out of place. I mean, there's something very 
forward moving when you read verse 7. Jesus calls the 12. He grants them his authority. He says, I'm sending you out to go and proclaim the gospel. Then all of a sudden, it's like Jesus becomes really interested like, to make sure they don't pack too much underwear and not enough socks in their, in their luggage as they go. And it's like, well, what's the point of this? Like, what, why is Jesus driving at this? And what we need to understand is that when Jesus says, take this, don't take that, and as, as you guys go, what, what he's not doing was he just wasn't merely concerned with like, the disciples' fashion, fashion choice as, he goes, as they go out representing him in the world. That's not what he's on about. But what Jesus was concerned with is that they would be effective in God's work, unencumbered by the excess baggage that could potentially impede their mission from going forward. In other words, when Jesus charges the disciples, I want you to take nothing, his charge to take nothing beyond the bare necessities was a call for them to go in simple dependence upon the king. In simplicity, they would learn that it's easier to be flexible on the king's mission when you are not bogged down by the things of the world. It's easy to go out and say, like, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need to bring this, I don't need to bring all these sorts of things. And then what becomes, what happens is we become so encumbered with the material things of the world, the king shows up and says, hey, John, I need you to go. But you're like, man, I can't really go, Jesus, because I've got all this stuff. All these things are tying me down. I'm bogged down. I, I can't be obedient to your call to go as a missionary right now. And Jesus says, listen, don't bog your down with the clutter of the world. Roll easy. Roll light so that when the king says, I want you to go, you can pack it up and you can go. So when Jesus says, take this, don't take that, it's really a call to simplicity. He wants them to be able to be flexible on this mission so that they can move and move quickly. People need to know about Jesus. Time is of the essence. So he says, roll light, roll simple. But in also charging them to take nothing beyond the bare necessities, we said that it's simple Simplicity that he's driving at, but it's also dependence. See, in dependence, they would come to learn that mission success wasn't dependent upon the things they brought to the table. So when they go out with no bread, no bag, and no money in their belt, Jesus is saying, listen, the way you're going to accomplish this is by banking on my Father. Don't assume that mission success for the king is going to happen because of the stuff and the provision that we bring to the table. Their trust was to be twofold. It was to be in the providential provision of the Father to care for his disciples, and their trust was to be in the provision of the king's authority to accomplish his mission. See, when Jesus sends you out on mission as a follower of him, he sends you out with the provision of his authority in order to go and accomplish that mission. See, one of the hardest lessons for you and I to learn is that the mission of Jesus is not accomplished by the things we bring to the table. It's not accomplished by the things you bring to the table. The the mission of God is not going to advance solely upon you being a great guy or a great gal who's got money or has got your budget in order, has got a nice house, has a nice car, has a PhD, a master's degree, education, none of these things. That is not how the kingdom of God advances in this world. It does not go forward being accomplished by the things we bring to the table. Rather, the mission of Jesus is accomplished by the king's authority in those he sends. So often we're prone to rely upon the authority of things instead of the authority of the king. 
And in operating this way, we fail to remember the very essence of the Great Commission. Do you remember what the Great Commission is? Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Famous, famous verses where Jesus says, listen, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And because this is true, here's verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now we love verse 19, and rightly so. What's verse 19 say? We're to multiply ourselves in the world. Go therefore, Jesus says. We're to make disciples of all nations. People who don't know Jesus are to be made into disciples of Jesus as they repent and believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then once we are multiplying ourselves in the world and we're making disciples, we are to see them mature. We're to baptize them in obedience to Christ. We're to teach them all that we've observed, all that we've observed Jesus command. And so what we do is we go, all right, man, well, let's get at it. Here's some strategy. Here's some systems and here's some structures. Let's go do this. Let's go, let's make disciples, let's baptize, and let's teach. And what we do is we forget that verse 19 doesn't exist in a vacuum. The going and the making and the teaching and the baptizing aren't going to be because we have great systems and structures and strategy. It's going to happen because King Jesus is the one who has authority in all heaven and on earth. He is the one who will always be with us to the end of the age. And so when we go out saying, I've got a king who's going to be with me, Always, even to the end of the age, this king is my king, and he's the one with all authority in heaven and on earth. And then Mark 6 tells us that he looks at you and says, this authority is now yours, go. This is the only provision that you need in order to make mature and multiply disciples. My authority, and I have got all authority. I'm giving it to you, go, be my representative. That is how the king's mission advances in this world. But we are so wrongly assume so often that it's the provision we bring to the table that's going to advance the gospel. Failing to see that the one provision we truly need is the authority of King Jesus, period. No amount of stuff will ever be able to replace the authority of the king And what his authority can accomplish through those who simply go out and speak the good news of Jesus Christ. See, as I was thinking on these things last week, it was just my mind naturally drifted to just some stuff that God is just stirring up in my heart, in my mind, some conversation I've been able to have with Brady and him just reminding me of some things um, that we heard and we, we were able to listen to some preaching a long time ago. And just thinking on these things about the sole thing that we need to be able to live in faithful obedience to the mission of Jesus advancing in this world today, being the authority of Jesus. This, this made me go back and remember a time when I heard David Platt, a man who's the president of the International Mission Board, which is the international missions arm of the Southern Baptist Convention, where he said this, he posed this question in regard to just what is the hindrance that advances God's mission in the world today? We just look around and we see that we've got good news, but we just see there's a lot of people in the world who don't understand and don't know the good news of King Jesus. And there's just things that are hindering the movement of God, the movement of King Jesus' mission in the world today. And so as he's talking about this and rightly identifying there is a hindrance, he posed this question. 
He said, what is the greatest hindrance to the advance of God's mission in the world today? He said, it's not primarily lack of funds. Missions needs money, but he says it's not primarily a lack of funds that's the greatest hindrance. It's not primarily a lack of people, like there's only 10 people in the world that need to know Jesus. There's literally multiple thousands of people groups in the world that are unreached people groups. That is, they have no clue about Jesus. They couldn't even articulate the name of Jesus because they literally don't know that he's ever existed. There's thousands of people groups in the world today that exist in this place. So it's not primarily there's just a lack of people who need to hear about Jesus. It's not primarily a lack of awareness. We do the Great Commission offering. We know we are called to go on mission for Jesus. And it's not primarily a lack of people going, although there will always need to be more people who go on mission to the world. Platt says the greatest hindrance to the advance of God's mission in the world today is the people of God doing the work of God apart from the Spirit of God. Why? Because we trust and we rest in our provision. So we hear about the Great Commission. We're like, let's do this. Let's go, system, strategy, structure. We go, we go, we go, we go. And we never hit pause long enough and go, you know what? We're the people of God, sent on the mission of God, but have we just stopped and asked, God, would you fill us with your spirit so that as we go, we would go in the authority of the king? We don't do it. We don't do it. The greatest hindrance is that we are prone to think the mission of King Jesus will advance in the hearts and lives of those around us as long as we've got strategy, systems, and structure. And so what do we do? We walk across the street. We go to the grandma and grandpa that don't know Jesus. We speak with a coworker at work. We share the gospel with them. The whole time we do so, we just assume that, you know what, if I just nail the presentation, if I could just conjure up the right words, the right phrases in the right moment, and then if I just really come equipped and I'm able to answer every single question that's thrown at me because I'm all of a sudden now talking about religious things and Jesus, so that, like, if I can just nail this presentation, if I can just conjure up the right words, if I can just, yeah, you got a question, here's an answer, a question, here's an answer, if I, if I come equipped in that way, then somehow all of these things added together are going to equal a repentant heart in this person. And so in that moment, we're not just relying upon a simple articulation of the gospel empowered by the Holy Spirit. What we're relying upon is the goods we bring to the table. My ability to answer a question. My ability to articulate. My ability, my ability, my ability. When Jesus says, bro, like all you need is the authority of me filled with the Spirit so that you can articulate a simple gospel and trust that the Holy Spirit has the power to explode the scales off that person's eyes and soften and draw their heart into repentance but we don't go that route see it's not our ability we bring to the table that produces a repentant heart in a person that is not how it works because this would be to rely upon the things we bring to the table to do this is to rely upon our authority and our power it's to seek to advance the mission of god apart from the power and the authority of the spirit of god which is why we need to repent do you wonder why the Christian church just seems at times so weak? It's because we're guilty of being the people of God, doing the work of God apart from the power of the Spirit of God. 
What we shouldn't do is stifle a yawn at this. What we should do is repent of this. You go and you read the book of Acts. We love the book of Acts. So why do we love the book of Acts? Because it's the people of God doing the work of God, empowered by the Spirit of God. People being saved by the thousands, people being saved by the tens and the ones. There's just a great movement of God. You read the book of Acts, and it's an explosion of gospel growth in the hearts and in the minds and in the worlds of people because they're banking on all they've got, which is the power of the living God in them to go and live on mission for Jesus. So whenever we seek to do the work of God apart from the Spirit of God, we need to repent of neglecting to pray for the Spirit's power to work through us and His desire to magnify the authority of King Jesus in us. And so the challenge is this. When you think on these things, you've got, we've just got to ask ourselves, what authority am I relying upon as I walk as a witness for Jesus? What authority am I relying on? Or to put it another way, what is your hope of seeing the mission of Jesus advance in the world today? Is it in your provision, the things you bring to the table, or is it in the authoritative provision of the king? You've got to ask yourselves that. Now, to be sent with the authority of King Jesus... It doesn't mean that things are going to go perfectly well all the time. Just as Jesus was rejected, so his followers can expect to experience the same sort of rejection. Which is why Mark also shows us that as we follow Jesus, not only are we sent with the king's authority, but as we follow Jesus, we've got to know that we will face hunger and we'll face hostility. You're going to face hunger and you're going to face hostility. You see that in verses 10 and 11. So if you look at verse 10, Jesus, he continues to equip his disciples for the work of mission. And he does so by telling them this, verse 10, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. See, a disciple's expectation is that they will face hunger and hostility as witnesses for Jesus. By and large, we live in a world that is hostile to the good news of Jesus Christ. And as we go, the reality will be this for you, and the reality will be this for me, that there will be times when we share Jesus and we will be welcomed, and there will be times when we share Jesus and we will be rejected. It's just those two dichotomies. Rejection, acceptance, hostility, and hunger. And we see this in the life of Jesus. All you've got to do is jump back one chapter, chapter 5. Jesus heals the demonized man. And what happens? The demonized man, we find out, becomes very hungry. He's following Jesus. But what was the reaction of the townsfolk? They looked at him and said, we want you. We beg you to leave now. We don't want anything to do with you. So you find hostility and hunger in the lives and the interaction of the, the garrison man, the man demonized. You even see this in chapter 6. We just saw it last week when Jesus teaches with authority in Nazareth. What was the overwhelming response? Flat-out rejection. And what did we see? It wasn't because they were ignorant, and it wasn't because they didn't know. They knew full well everything you and I know concerning Jesus, and they just look at him and say, I simply don't want you. I don't want you. 
I don't believe in you. I'm offended by you. I'm scandalized. I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed. We want you to leave. And they harden their hearts in unbelief. And Jesus just says, listen, if you're going to live like me in a world that is hostile to the things of me, you've got to understand there will be times when people respond with hunger to the things of Jesus, but more times than not, people are going to flat out respond with hostility to the things of Jesus. They're just going to do it. And so now that the apostles are being sent out as his representatives, Jesus is just simply letting them know, guys, you just got to expect the same thing. You just got to expect the same thing. There's going to be times when you enter a house that's hungry for the things of God, and if that's the case, stay there until you depart. That's what he tells them. But he says, listen, there's also going to be times when no one will receive you hostile to the things of God, they will not listen to you. And when that happens, Jesus tells them to shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. This is a very Jewish thing. Sounds weird to us, but in the original audience who would have first heard these things, they would have totally understood what was going on. That idea of like shaking the dust off your feet at someone, it was just a way of warning somebody of the gravity of the thing they were rejecting. So for the disciples to roll into a, a Jewish town, preach the good news of Jesus, and for them to just reject it, what they were meant to do was sort of like a current day sort of live action illustration where they're like, I'm shaking off the dust of my feet at you. Why? Because I'm showing to you the thing you're rejecting right now is no small thing. It is huge. Life, eternal life and eternal death hang in the balance based upon the decision you're making right now. And I'm live acting, illustrating in front of you the gravity of the kind of decision that you're making. And in the end, the encouragement in it all to, these, to the twelve, to these apostles, is that as they just go about, they're just to have an eyes-wide-open approach as they go about calling people to repent and believe in Jesus. You guys are smart people. You can consider how this applies to us today. Just as people didn't like to hear the gospel in the time of Jesus, people don't like to hear the gospel today. Sometimes people will express their dislike for the good news of Jesus, who is a Savior that saves sinners. They'll, look, they'll express their dislike for this politely. Sometimes it won't be polite at all, but in the end, the fact is they just don't like the gospel. They don't like Jesus. They don't like the fact that they'd have to admit themselves to be a sinner in need of a Savior. That's weak. That's a crutch. It's foolish. Jesus is a superstition. He's a myth. I'm, not, I'm too smart to believe in something so simple and stupid. You hear that today. And really, this shouldn't surprise us that people would react in this way. I mean, if you think about it, much of what we believe is incendiary. I mean, just think about it. We believe that Jesus is the only way to know God. John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So that means that Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, atheists, agnostics, if they die outside of faith in Christ, 
will spend eternity in hell forever. We believe that the cross is the only way to be forgiven. Our Savior had to become a sacrifice on the cross so that through the shedding of his blood, we could find the forgiveness of sins. It's no other way. It's not good works. It's not money. It's not having a Christian friend, a Christian aunt. It's not reading your Bible. It's not praying. It's none of those. It's faith in Jesus Christ and repentance of sin. That is the only way. We believe that one day everyone's going to stand up and be judged. If you're confused on what that's like, you can go visit our sermon series through 2 Peter. Peter nailed it. Everyone's going to stand before Jesus Christ who came as the judge and judge those who are living and judge those who are dead. Everyone's going to stand before the king one day and be judged for how they responded to what they knew concerning Jesus. We believe these things. These are the things we articulate in front of people. When it comes to the things of the gospel, they're incendiary. And so if you go around talking to people about Jesus in this way, what you must know is that you're going to get hurt. It's going to sever relationships. It's going to provoke people. It may not happen every time, and depending upon your circumstances, depending upon your friendships, depending upon your workplace, our experiences will vary. But the truth is that we will face rejection as we live faithfully for the king. And Jesus is telling the disciples, you've got to know that. And don't let this deter you. Because Jesus is ultimately our example in these things, is he not? I mean, that's what the whole point of rolling into verses 12 and 13 is when Mark says, well, so they went out and they just basically lived like Jesus. Jesus came to Nazareth, rejected. You don't see Jesus going, well, shucks, I guess this kingdom of God thing's a big bust. I don't want to get rejected anymore. And so he just stops. He doesn't do that. He says, listen, we came, we modeled, we told them, we taught them, we showed them that the cross and the coming sacrifice of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, his victory over Satan, sin, and death, that's the only hope of salvation. They flat out rejected that. What do we do? We don't get bummed out by the rejection. We let that spur us on forward to go and live a faithful life of obedience to King Jesus. That's really what the whole point of these last two verses are. As a follower of Jesus, the king is our example to follow. Just as he is rejected and he didn't spin out, but it spurred him on. So when you and I approach that pain line and we go, man, this is the moment. I mean, it's just as plain as day. I'm going to, the spirit is calling me and telling me to share the gospel right now. Man, I don't know if I'm going to be received with hunger. I don't know if I'm going to be received with hostility. But in this moment, I'm going to be faithful. We share the gospel. We're rejected in that moment, whether it's crazy hostility or polite hostility, we receive hostility nonetheless so what do we do in that moment mark tells us what we do is we just continue to follow in the path of jesus not getting spun out but instead getting spurred on see when you jump down to verse 12 and 13 just mirroring what they see jesus do the 12 just simply went out and began to proclaim that people should repent instead of preaching a message contrary to jesus the 12 just follow his example and they begin to preach his message of repentance Again, Mark chapter 1, Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe this gospel. And they're like, well, if Jesus did it, it's good enough for us. Like, we don't have to have a fancy gospel. All we've got to do is just say the words of Jesus and model him. 
And notice that the result of the king's authority was that they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. In short, the twelve experienced great power in bringing the gospel to an unbelieving world. It was repentance, it was deliverance, it was healing, just as if Jesus was physically there. So in turn, what they do is go, we saw Jesus teach in this way, heal in this way, cast out demons in this way. Jesus looks at the twelve and says, I give you the authority to go do this. They say, let's go do this. Two by two, they go walking out. They teach, they cast out demons, they heal people just like they saw Jesus do. And in doing this, what happens is these men become miniaturized representations of King Jesus in the world. And so we see that the pattern for advancing the king's mission is just found in the example of the king. The apostles were to do nothing else other than follow Jesus' example. Their whole way of ministry was to be modeled after Jesus so that when people looked at them, people would go, I see Jesus in you. And so it is to be with you and me. To be called by Christ is to be sent by Christ. And to be sent by Christ is to be sent with His power and His authority so you too can reflect His power and His authority to those around you. And notice that when you just sort of zoom out, and you sort of get like the bird's eye view of verses 6 through 13. The whole undercurrent, the whole tone of it all is what? It's just a sense of urgency. Urgency. Go. Don't get bogged down. Tell people about Jesus. They receive it. Good. If they don't, bounce. Don't spin out. Go. 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 Now, eventually, they're going to come back. Verse 30 tells us that they come back. It's a short-term mission trip. But Jesus says, don't turn your vacation into, don't turn your mission into a vacation. Don't get bogged down by the things of the world, but go with a sense of urgency. They had one main purpose, and nothing was to be allowed to distract them from it. The urgency of their message was to, meant to convey this one thing. Now that you know about Jesus, you need to respond now. You need to repent now. You need to trust the king now. You need to believe in him now. Don't put it off. Don't wait. But respond and so as we wrap up our time in this text this morning, the obvious question becomes this. Have you responded to the king in this way? Have you responded to the king in this way? Have you repented of your sin and believed in the gospel? Have you turned from your sin and come to trust in the good news of Jesus Christ? Have you come to trust that Jesus died on the cross for your sin? Not someone else's sin, but for your sin. Your offenses against God. The way that you love you more than you love God. The way you love money or your job or pride more than you love the Savior. The way that you can love the things of this world more than you love Jesus. Have you repented of these things, seeing that it's these things that eternally separate you from God the Father, and it's these things that must be repented of? To repent is to confess these things are keeping me from you in a relationship with you, God, and it's to turn from these things to turning to trust in Jesus Christ. That's the essence of repentance. Repentance. 
It's I'm turning from all the things that I was believing in that separated me from God. And it's not that you stop believing, but it's that you start believing right things. Stop believing, start believing right things. Repentance and belief. The question you've got to ask yourself is, have you done this? Verse 12, they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Should repent. If you want to repent, maybe. You know, if you get to it sometime eventually, I guess so. You know, you really don't even have to repent, and you can probably just get into this whole kingdom thing by just doing some stuff. Should repent. Have you responded in this way? See, if not, today is the day for you to respond because this is the promise that we have. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, here's the promise. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and out of the changed heart that God has brought, our mouths will confess Jesus is Lord And the promise is this, you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we are are so desperately in need of you to be able to save us. Oh Lord, there's nothing we can do to make ourselves right with the Father. There is nothing we can do to satisfy the necessary sacrifice for sin. There's nothing. We are, we are debtors in sin. We're dead in sin. Dead people, spiritually dead people can't make themselves alive. We need you to supernaturally, with authoritative power, raise our sin-dead hearts from the grave. And I ask that you would do that this morning. If there's someone here this morning that today would be the day where you soften their hearts and draw them close to you so that they would hear the good news of Jesus, repent, turn from their sin, and turn to you, trusting in you, placing their hope in you, that you are all that we need in salvation. God, for those of us here this morning that are just simply resting on everything but you in regard to living our lives as sent ones here in this world, would you break our hearts in repentance and help us to see that the kingdom of King Jesus will not advance because of the provision we bring to the table, but it will only advance as we in humility, in desperate dependence, cry out and say, I need the Spirit of God to fill me so that I can walk demonstrating and manifesting the very authority of Jesus in my life so that people would come to repent and believe. God, help us in these things ultimately so that your name would be made great. It's in the powerful name of King Jesus who loves to say, along with the woman, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, the sweetest person, the sweetest church, the sweetest thing. But what I'm doing is I am wholly trusting in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Oh Christ, we come here this morning and our confession is simple. We are desperately in need of you. 
We are so desperately in need of you. God, our, our faith is so prone to wander. We're so prone to weakness. We're so prone to latch on to all these fringe things around you and yet somehow miss you at the center of it all. So, Lord, I pray that as a result of hearing your words taught this morning, you, Holy Spirit, would expose our hearts to areas that need to be changed, that need repentance, that need healing, that need renewal, that you would lead us to the place where we go, God, I need your Son, I need your Savior so very badly, and I need Him in this area, and that we would just confess we are trusting in you Our faith is prone to be weak at times. God, strengthen our faith. Give us a beautiful picture of you. Remind us of our King. Remind us of His power. Remind us of His care. Remind us of His cross. Remind us of His death. Remind us of His resurrection. Remind us of how He has made us right with you. Do these things now, Father, so that we may leave here today emboldened as men and women who've been ransomed and redeemed by Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.